Hello, and welcome to Everything We Can't See. My name is Chandler. And my name is Denise. And this podcast is about all things spooky and scary. Um, So this is actually our first episode. And we kind of wanted to give a little intro about this podcast, us, our schedule, and give a little shout out to all of our pages. So kind of to start off, we might as well go into kind of our story as to why we wanted to start this podcast Denise and I are both really into true crime, paranormal, supernatural events, and we kind of wanted to, you know, make a podcast that kind of exemplifies that and really shows that off. Um, So this podcast is going to be really based around all of that, and our episodes are going to be a broad range of between, you know, stories that we research and find to actually our listeners sending in their own stories maybe once a month, you know, maybe more frequently as we go on. Um, but go ahead and send us an email at everythingwecantsee at gmail.com. And we are super excited to be reading those stories and maybe sharing them on the podcast. So please send us anything that you have. We are excited to read those stories. Um, secondly, I thought we'd talk about kind of our schedule. Um, we wanted to kind of send out a new episode about once every two weeks. So make sure to subscribe to our pages on Apple Podcast and Spotify. There you'll be notified every time that we have a new episode. So make sure to subscribe. Other pages that we do have as well are also Instagram and Facebook. So everything we can't see on Instagram and Facebook, make sure to follow us and like us. Um, We'll be sure to update our fan base and let them know when new content comes out and really give them updates as to what we're doing. Um, And so let's see here. So I thought that we'd also give a little intro about Denise and I. Um, So kind of like our experiences with like uh, the supernatural, um, our beliefs, and also a little bit about us. So so uh, my name is Denise. Um, I am a Christian and I generally consider myself a skeptic. I do have a little bit of experience uh, with, I'm going to go with the other side, <laughs> call it that. Um, I just feel like it's definitely, I like scary stories. I love hearing about this. Um, despite being a Christian, I do think that there are entities on the other side, whether they're demonic or spiritual. I don't know. I do not have all the answers, but what I do know is that it's scary and I like it. (laughs) And so I am massively a skeptic. I will always go check out haunted places and stuff. And it's very, very fun and entertaining to me. So I'm pretty excited to do this podcast and share all these spooky stories. Well, I am kind of with Denise. Um, I feel like we're both a little bit skeptics. I am definitely like, I want to believe, like prove me wrong. Um, <laughs> I have a <laughs> good idea. Yeah, right. <laughs> Start prove me wrong. <laughs> Step breaks. Yeah. Great. <laughs> Not doing a ghost um, adventure with you. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, seriously. I'm like essentially inviting it in just like prove me wrong spirits um and I've seen like orbs I've seen like shadow figures but you know nothing that like really compelled me to believe um so again I'm a little bit of a skeptic um and I come with like open arms to different theories again how can we know so I like to be open and all to that um 
bit of intro. I also like to um, kind of not study necessarily, but like research uh, different theories. So there is the stone tape theory. We're going to talk about that today. Um, just a little brief note. It's essentially where negative energy is like essentially trapped in a space. Um, so we'll talk about that today uh, in this episode. I'm excited. I know, right? Yeah. <laughs> so to start off, we are actually going to be talking about the Trans-Allegheny Lunatic Asylum. So this facility, this building, these grounds, um, is also known as the Western State Hospital. Um, this place broke ground in 1858. Um, it is located in Weston, West Virginia. A uh, little couple facts. It is the largest hand-carved stonemason building other than the Kremlin. Um, and the design capacity is at about 240 to 250 patients. So that's kind of what it's designed around. And then, so the actual grounds itself, now Denise, we've talked about this. Um, the actual grounds is quite literally 666 acres. Um, and I know, Denise, you have some thoughts on that, but it's almost inviting. They're asking for it. Yeah. They're asking for it. Are you kidding right. me? Just either make it one less or one more just for, I don't, I mean, especially back then when this is being built, you know, Christianity and the religion is really prevalent then. So it's like, why? You're asking for it. You know what you're doing. Can you not? Yeah. yeah. I mean, the devil's in the ground at that point. <laughs> it's their fault. I don't, you know, yeah. there's no sympathy, really. Your fault. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of uh, where we come from with this. <laughs> so, <laughs> zero sympathy. <laughs> yeah, zero sympathy at all. <laughs> um, so, like I said, the 666 acres, it's evil from the get-go. Uh, <laughs> and... <laughs> Let's see. It's designed by Richard Andrews. Uh, so he designed it, but Richard Andrews actually based all of the design upon uh, Thomas S. Kirkbride's philosophy. Um, Kirkbride is actually a physician, so let's kind of start there. He is a medicinal doctor, um, but his background, he was uh, famous for his theory of the moral treatment of the mentally ill. Um, he also wrote a book titled On the Construction, Organization, and General Arrangement of Hospitals for the Insane. Um, so with that title, you can kind of get that it's a little bit different of treatment per se. It's a little bit more about the actual architecture of a building and the actual setup of a hospital uh, staffing wise. So it's a little bit um, not so much medical and a little bit more literal design. So that's kind of where he comes from with that. Um, Kirkbride's theory is, again, very much based on the style and structure of buildings and um, housing mentally ill people. So it's, again, not necessarily the treatment. Um, the theory is really about how open aired and properly ran facilities benefit the patients. Um, he also kind of notes that facilities that run farms and a little bit more communal based um, treatment can benefit patients, which I mean, that sounds true to me again, but he does, he tends to leave out the actual treatment 
of mentally ill folks. And especially in uh. 1958, yeah, it's, it's, it's like, what better time to have, you know, a little bit more insight on treatment of en- mentally ill folks. But anyways. Um, can we just, like, talk about why people were committed there for a quick sec? And, like, what mentally ill defined as then? Okay, this one I honestly just kind of laughed. The first one on the list (laughs) was uh, asthma. In my mind, I don't understand how that makes you crazy. Uh, Another one is laziness. And another one is reading too many novels. I don't... I just picture a guy who is married and is insecure (laughs) and is like, you need to stop being smarter than me. You're embarrassing me in front of my friends. And just locks her up. Just totally is butthurt. Because who, you know what I mean? Like a woman who reads too much. I feel like that's that's what it is. Yeah. In in addition to all of those, I mean, it's even, it's even more simply that there's like epileptic folks. I mean, asthma is such a, it's not simple necessarily, but it doesn't necessarily mean that you need to be like a mentally ill facility. Um, and then there's also like superstition. People were locked up in these facilities for superstition. Um, and we'll also talk about desertion of husbands. Later on, women were locked up for just leaving their husbands. Um, which, you know, what's wrong with that sometimes? But okay. what a time to be a woman. I mean, honestly, what a time. Not great. Not necessarily great. But uh so the actual uh construction began in 1858 uh but was actually put on hold in 1861 when the civil war began uh at the time the state of virginia uh, which at exactly at the time it was the state not west virginia uh the state of virginia decided to join the union uh, therefore, the state demanded that the construction budget for the Trans-Allegheny Lunatic Asylum be given back for the war effort. The construction continued and the money was not returned in a timely fashion, actually. So um, the, the people that were designing and building this place, they kind of decided that they weren't going to give up the money freely and openly. So that means that there needs to be force, right? So this is war times and measures need to be taken. On June 30th, 1861, the citizens of Weston awoke in the early mornings to drums and marching soldiers. So this is about 5 a.m. and they wake up hearing drums, um, instruments, and you know about hundreds or thousands of soldiers coming into their small town. Um, This uh, infantry was the 7th Ohio Infantry had arrived. Their mission was to seize the $30,000 that was in the bank for the construction of the Trans-Allegheny Lunatic Asylum. So with that in mind, they went to the bank at about, let's say, 7 a.m., marched up there, to the bank owner and demanded that the money be returned for the union's fight against the Confederates. Um, You know, with guns and knives and weapons, the bank owner decided that maybe they should give it up. So that's when the construction of the building stopped. So at the time in 1861, only the southernmost wing and the basement of that wing was complete. Um, And then essentially the only part that was complete otherwise was actually just the excavation of the most central uh, wing that was uh, the Trans-Allegheny Lunatic Asylum. 
this place was actually known in the Civil War as Camp Tyler. Um, this was a very important location um, at the time for the Civil War effort. Um, again, there were multiple raids. Uh, the Confederate troops uh, actually controlled the land from time to time between 1862 and 1864. Um, so this is kind of where we actually find our first batch of spirits. This wing is known, the southernmost wing, is known for the cries and heavy marching heard in the night. Um, there's actually said to be figures, soldiers walking around um, in the middle of the night or even during the day in this exact location where the Civil War soldiers were living at the time and had their efforts. So you can either see Union soldiers or Confederate soldiers. Um, and this is kind of, Denise, this is actually kind of where we talk about the stone tape theory. Um, and I have a little definition, a little blurb about the stone tape theory. And the stone tape theory is the speculation that ghosts or hauntings correspond to tape recordings and that mental impressions during emotional or traumatic events can be projected in the form of energy, recorded into rocks and replayed for eternity. So oh. with, yeah, isn't that kind of weird? So that's kind of a theory that- It's just kind of sad. It's totally sad. Um, whether it's actually like the real spirits that um, were there or it is actually like quote unquote recordings, we won't know. Um, but I know, Denise, we have talked about this where like it almost feels like sometimes negative energy can be trapped in a place. Totally. It's definitely a thing. I feel like it's just, yeah, you, I, I feel like that's normal. You walk into certain buildings or places and you kind of just have like a gross feeling when you walk in. I completely agree. Yeah. You can kind of mm -hmm. just feel it in the room. Isn't mm. that, it's just, it's one of those things that when I think about it and I realize Stuff that we do here, I feel like definitely matters and is important, especially when we build these buildings and that we live in them and do our lives. If some really horrific thing happens, there has to be some type of consequence other than, you know, our human and human consequence. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yes, I completely agree. Like, it is negative energy and who knows where it goes. And I mean, it's it could be trapped in a place. How do we know? So um, and this is actually the reason that I bring this up exactly is because these spirits that these people see, they're actually not that interactive. Like they don't really interact with um, the tour guides, the groundskeepers, the visitors. They're much more, I guess, not recluse is the word, but like doing what they're doing. Like they're already doing what they're doing and they don't really seem to be bothered by people um, trying to talk to them or trying to con like converse with them. Um, that's not to say that they won't converse with them, but it's just atypical. They just don't typically do that. So uh, from here, we move past the Civil War. So now past the Civil War, you know, everything is a little bit getting back to normal. All the money has been returned since the unit has won. Um, and the unfortunate thing about this is that in the late 1800s is that during that time that Camp Tyler was around and being used for the Civil War effort is that supplies was actually taken from the Trans-Allegheny Lunatic Asylum and used for the, you know, for the effort, for the war effort. And so that kind of sets back um, the supplies that was meant for patients, um, 
the first batch of patients that were meant to be housed there. Um, so with that in mind, the construction was finally finished in 1881. During the building process, uh, patients were being housed there, uh, but during the actual final process of the build uh, in 1881, we actually look at the capacity. We look at the amount of patients that was meant to be about, you know, 240 to 250 people. Um, that's kind of max. That was kind of why... Kirkbride had designed it is to kind of give people space and also let them have their own lives in this facility. Well, in 1881, there's about 780 patients already there. So already we're having a overcrowding problem. We're seeing that money and the condition of the facility is really not important and money is really the important thing. And the thing that blows my mind about this is um, while doing like my random fact research um, on the paranormal side and the history of this is because they were so overcrowded, they actually created cages for the patients to be outside in open spaces, quote unquote, but it's really just to make more bedrooms. They're just basically creating these cages, sticking them outside for people that are uncontrollable because apparently we're reading too many books. So it's just mind blowing to me that this place started with this great future. And overall, the architect definitely seemed like he wanted it to be better than what mental facilities were like back then. It's like he he definitely tried, but it's just so freaking horrible horrible the way they cram people in and um there was actually someone uh that did a report that went in there towards the last few years that the place was open and she said that there were feces smeared all over the patients all over the walls people were left naked and sleeping on the floor so definitely pretty freaking horrible the way they ended up treating their patients completely i mean what kind of life is that to be treated and probably malnourished and, you know, dirty. That's so awful. Uh, and like, Sitting in your own feces. I like gag when other people throw up around me. I can't even imagine being around other people's feces and my own on top of it. They're, I just, no. put me in a cage. Or other Send me outside. Yeah, like that sounds awful. And that's, <laughs> that's why they have reform. Like, thank God that we had some type of reform in the 1980s to fix hopefully a lot of that problem but we still to this day we still have problems with how we treat mentally ill folks and like it's a work in progress absolutely you know like Denise had mentioned that there's a lot of people in this facility at even in 1881 to 1980s a full hundred years of people that don't really deserve to be there uh, and the reality is is that like I had said like people that have for example, left abusive partners, specifically women leaving their husbands. Um, that was a huge, um, that was a huge amount of patients that were in those facilities. Um, so with that, we kind of moved to 1930. There was a young woman that came to the Transallegheny Lunatic Asylum. Rumor had it that she had wrongfully left her husband. Uh, we aren't sure if she came to the the asylum pregnant or if she had become pregnant after arriving uh, she is said to have had one of the many children raised there so her daughter's name was Lily 
Lily was born and raised in this asylum. Uh, she lived her entire life there, and she actually fell ill about the age of nine. Um, she died of pneumonia at the age of nine. And to this day, you can actually talk to her and kind of still converse with her. I know, Denise, you've heard EVPs of her recently. Just, yep, just you wait, guys. When we get to, like, the fun facts of everything, ooh, I got some good stuff. Some goosebumps. No, uh, honestly, while listening to the EVPs, I just it no, like it makes your skin get all goosebumps and no, it's yeah, it's a lot. But we'll save that until later. Can I keep going? Exactly. <laughs> My bad. Yeah, it's so like she had said, like there is a lot of activity with Lily. She is, um, she's a young girl that is essentially trapped in this place for her entire life. And so um, she was given a room. Um, it is a yellow room after it was closed in the 1990s. Um, it has plenty of toys and she essentially lives in that room. People come to visit her. People come to essentially investigate her existence. Um, they'll talk to her and talk, you know, to her about, uh, all things asylum and see like how she feels um she's actually known to uh, pass a ball back and forth in the room um there is videos of this now how that could be fake i have no idea that's just what they've said um and i know i've told denise this before but like tour guides and the groundskeepers and the visitors those people have a huge um, bond with her and also a big protective um, boundary with her. They don't allow people to be really, you know, forceful with her. They don't like it when people um, kind of try and be uh, incredibly aggressive with her um, because, like I had said, she is a young girl and she's been trapped in there her entire life. So she's actually known to be, again, very innocent. She is known to giggle around you, known to talk. And so, yeah, she's known to be very kind and gentle, just like a child is. And so that's kind of the 1930s, and we kind of move towards the 1950s. And I know Denise has a lot more about this than I even do. Um, and it kind of includes lobotomies and all things patient-related treatments. Okay, I'm really excited about this. Uh that came off a bit aggressive. Um, not excited. It's horrible. <laughs> um, but wow, it's horrible. Um, okay. So two of the main things that I wanted to focus on treatment wise is, uh, bloodletting as well as coma insulin therapy. Uh, bloodletting in general is just, uh, a very old school technique before we just came up with the right tools to take care of people. Uh, basically slicing people open, releasing some blood, hoping some of the toxins will come out. And then kind of just doing it in different parts of the body, hoping that it'll work. Uh, they did a lot of this for uh, mental patients who uh, were hysteric that the blood will drain out the hysteria. Again, the logic, I do not know. Um, and then the insulin coma therapy absolutely blows my mind because I actually just learned this today. I don't know about you guys, but so large doses of insulin per day actually produces uh, people to be in comas. So to prevent food costs, as well as a lot of other costs, they would actually put these patients into comas and just put them in rooms or stock them in places and just keep them unconscious if they were unmanageable or they just didn't want to deal with these patients. 
So this would go on for weeks per patient. And a lot of the times, I mean, considering you're being absolutely overdosed with insulin, a lot of them wouldn't wake up. And I think that for the people that were doing the procedures, they didn't necessarily want to directly kill people off. But this is one way to kind of do a backhanded way of killing people off, which is absolutely horrible. And if you were to, I don't know, guess what place would be haunted, it'd probably be people that didn't deserve to die. <laughs> I don't know. But it's definitely one of those things, too, between there. They also had um, lobotomies there as well. Um, I think overall they were saying about 4,000 lobotomies took place and 490 of those people died. Absolutely horrible and really sad. And uh, the doctor that worked there, like, think you're like stereotypical psycho doctor with like the huge rubber gloves and just the scary look. I just picture him being like that. Just a nasty dude. I mean, that's so true. Lobotomies, especially at this facility, were used to essentially help with overcrowding or even just like behavior control. Um, because, I, Denise, I'm, I'm sure we've talked about this, like lobotomies can essentially ruin someone's brain. You know, they can totally... Um, change a person um i think that back in the day they made it sound a little bit more appealing like the behavior of someone was um a little bit more easy to manage um a little bit less um uh, stubborn perhaps but it was definitely just physically harming every patient that they did um even if they didn't die i don't know but like whose logic this is all i want to know okay why through the eye just yeah. And I, I have a thing with eyes, like I'm not going to lie, it, it's a personal issue of just like, which is funny because I have contacts and if everyone exactly. who has contacts, you know, some weird crap happens sometimes because they just get dry and they roll around. It's just, it is what it is. It's gross, but it is what it is. Um, but just a needle through the eye and I'm freaking out over getting LASIK surgery with a laser. You know what I mean? I don't know who would agree agree and how desperate you'd possibly have to be to be willing to get a needle through your eye to your brain to feel better you know what I mean like what type of place if it was if there it was their choice you know what I mean if they got a choice in the matter what could push you to the point where you feel the need to have a needle in your eye I just horrible it's horrible and it's I mean again sounds painful and I'm sure that they did not take um you know anesthetic very seriously with these people unfortunately I'm sure that they were very inhumane um again I think that we've talked about this as well as like um, American Horror Story Asylum they talk about the like, they portray it very heavily because it's such a big deal in the 1950s um it was so human inhumane it was so uh, disturbing so I would highly recommend that show by the way um, and so with that, let's see. So we're going to kind of move on to a little bit more of the scary, perhaps. Uh, so the Trans-Allegheny Lunatic Asylum does house some evil spirits as well. Um, I know Denise has a little bit more information um, than I do about it, but a little bit of what I know is that there's a two known spirits um, in the upper upper levels of the facility. Um, one has an unknown name. Um, They're still known to be aggressive. And then the other is um, known to be called Slewfoot. Um, Denise researched this heavily, I believe, and kind of realized that it actually means the devil or it's another name for Lucifer. 
Um, so that's essentially just trying to say that these spirits are not to be messed with. You know, they're they're aggressive. They can uh, be known to be quote unquote evil, um, and altogether very cruel when they want to be. Super. That's awesome. I totally want to go. You want to go next week? Oh, awkward. <laughs> I talked you into it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it sounds great. This sound. Yeah, it sounds exactly like what I want to do. <laughs> no. Um. Slewfoot, though, what's interesting about this person is that they were actually a mass murderer within the asylum. Just not a great person, to say the least. And uh, they're saying that their ghost uh, still roams and is very aggressive towards people. And I think it's borderline poltergeisty, mm -hmm. to be honest. Because, in I mean, this is just like my personal definition of a poltergeist. I believe it's... I just straight up think it's evil because it has such an impact on people and it hurts people. I theoretically speaking, you know, but I definitely think poltergeists are evil. And I would say that Slewfoot is a poltergeist, not only for his nickname because it just enhances the evil part of it, but um, also because he was a murderer and he wasn't great and he sucked. So he's probably not the nicest kind person around. So I would say he's evil in a poltergeist because he's very aggressive towards the staff that works there as well as tourists that come through because uh, the Trans-Allegheny Lunatic Asylum uh, definitely promotes their ghost tours on their website, which cracks me up because they're just so aware of it now that they're like, you know what, might as well make money off of it. <laughs> but yeah, Sleep yeah. definitely, uh, I would suggest people doing looking into him some more too because it's just the murders and everything behind him. I like want to do like a murders throughout history thing on like history channel or something and talk about him because this is the first time I'm hearing about him and he's kind of psycho. Hmm. I would love to do that. That sounds actually really fun. Yeah. I love that. Anyways. Um, so I know that's definitely kind of the more evil aspects of the Trans-Allegheny Lunatic Asylum. Um, and so we kind of just move right along to the later years in which there was the reform in the 1980s um, and there's a lot of change and regulation being in place and um, you know unfortunately that's really too late for a lot of people that suffered um, the cruelty of the conditions there but you know luckily the reformation did happen um, and then so that happened in the 1980s and then in the 1990s they just called it quits they decided that that place uh, was was no place for mentally ill folks, and they actually shut it down. Um, to be honest, this actually makes me laugh. Um, after they closed this place down, they kind of considered making it into a prison. Um, I feel like that's so. That's so. Wasn't it already right before? Yeah, you know exactly. what I mean. Like, like technically hey, speaking. Like, Totally. And it's yeah. like, this This place already is cruel enough. Like, maybe just give it a rest. Um, <laughs> and the way so, you put that, can you just, like, not? You know what yeah. I mean? I'd be okay if you just, I don't know, did it. Like, completely. Like, just, like, maybe just leave it be. Like, there are plenty of people that still kind of live there. Um, and so maybe just let them have that place and... I know that we've talked about this, Denise, as well, like how beautiful the property is. It's absolutely gorgeous. Um, I know that after I researched it, even just like slightly, I was already like, I want to go. Um, and Denise, like if we have to go to West Virginia, we have to go to West Virginia, you know. Um, and it's it's so it's such an interesting place and has such a really long and fascinating history behind it. 
Um, and kind of I'll close with this. Um, from what I've read and from just kind of the research I did, a lot of people that work there frequently and a lot of people that just frequent that place in general, they actually believe that this place is more of like a portal for spirits and ghosts um, that kind of want to move, you know, from wherever to somewhere else on Earth. Um, and so, I don't know, I find that kind of fascinating that like this place is such a hub for, you know, energy and like such strong energy. Um, and who knows if like the portal thing is necessarily true, but it's such a fascinating concept to kind of think about and kind of wonder if, you know, that could be the case. I, just the whole place makes me sad. Such a, a heavy place and it has a lot of, you know, history and, you know, unfortunately, like you said, evil and I, it does make me sad as well. <laughs> Yeah, it's pretty depressing. Um, yeah. I, yeah, I don't even know what to do with it because it's just, it went on for years. It went on way longer than it was necessary. No one cared about mental health at all. So it's not, it wasn't important. People were there because it was inhumane just to kill them. You know what I mean? So they thought it was more humane to lock them up. And I think honestly, a lot of the people, especially since one of the reasons why people were inside was asthma. I think a lot of the reasons why people were in there um weren't actually crazy they were just did something in society or did something that wasn't actually important and were sent there and they became crazy you know what i mean if you're just locked in a building surrounded by people who are losing their minds and then the staff on top of it makes you feel crazy no i would lose my mind i think honestly one of my worst fears you can tell me if you think this is reasonable or not my worst fear is to like go visit this type of place and it's still <laughs> open and then they think I'm crazy and they lock me inside and there's no way for me to tell them I'm not crazy because I'm like I'm not crazy and they're like that's what a crazy person would say and just keep me locked in it's honestly like my asylum fear <laughs> it's so irrational oh um oh that's sad <laughs> No, but I maybe I, I need to go talk to someone about that. Yeah. <laughs> Therapy is waiting. <laughs> Not in the asylum, though. <laughs> oh my god, no. Oh my god. Okay, well, on the lighter note, let's move to our favorite thing to talk about: um, ghost adventures. I I am a big fan. Uh, I guess I kind of. I love watching ghost adventures. I love watching Zach Baggins be himself he is so funny to me um and i know that we both watched well i watched the first episode you watched all six episodes about the trans allegheny i watched the first three because it's an entire season on it and i encourage everyone to watch it just because they do it in a very unique way a they cover this entire building in one entire season when it's usually one episode per one location and that's just they there was so much going on in this one place that not only did they decide to do an entire season on it they did a live feed where people were commenting and sharing their opinions as like if they've been there before and the people that were commenting uh Chandler I don't know if you were able to see them but they were like not helping the situation to be honest <laughs> it's like 2003 at that point like no one really knows what's going on anyway i guess with technology so that makes total paris sense. hilton that's where my mind went to i hear 2003 and i picture paris hilton i don't know why no i mean that actually makes even more sense 
<laughs> I I did watch it, and I of course I said that I only watched like the first episode because I only had access to it. But it again made me laugh. Like they they are so you know dramatic, but also like they have really good information in terms of the history. Um, if you are interested, um, Denise, I don't know what did you think of the overall season of it. Um, I really liked it. I think um, in the first episode, they have, um, I don't remember her name, but there's just this blonde gal that came in and kind of spoke about the facility. And then she brings up um, this guy who uh, picked up one of the metal bed frames and stuck the leg through the skull of the other patient that was staying with him. And, you know, while I'm explaining this, I'm not smiling because I'm normal. She's like amped up about it <laughs> it was so weird it was just so weird like I can, maybe it's like a norm for her but me explaining that uh an asylum patient stabbed someone through the skull with a metal bed frame isn't like a cheery thing even if I'm used to it <laughs> I mean I feel like you know you're so nervous when you're smiling just like through everything like you're just like so nervously like ah like giddy that you're talking or she about. likes it yeah she like just like really likes spooky paranormals like too much you know what i mean just too much you had to go there <laughs> i did i honestly really did <laughs> <laughs> no i mean you could be right also like we're both like it's a 50 50 chance at that point <laughs> so, no lord yeah i mean the first episode again i highly recommend denise recommends the entire season it's perfect um and that's kind of our, I don't know, Denise, did you have anything else to add? I found this link that we will add uh, to our episode when we post it. Um, this blows my mind because it's a family that seems just very chill and kind of just like, let's go for a family outing. And they ended up going to the asylum and uh, it was a mom and a dad and I believe two sons and they're running through the asylum because they let them uh, run through and they have an EVP recorder as well. And there's about honestly like 12 different recordings I would love to talk about, but it's a little over the top. Um, but so a few things I wanted to touch base on ghost wise, Lily, the young girl that Chandler you spoke about earlier is actually recorded um, eight minutes and 15 seconds in um, and she laughs. It's creepy. Um, there's a child laugh. And then my challenge for everyone, just because I can't tell if I'm hearing this correctly, but on the fourth floor, there is known to be a soldier who goes by the name of Jacob. And they caught an EVP recording three minutes and 26 seconds into it, uh, into the video itself. You can skip forward. And he's like walking around talking and you hear the guy go, say it again. And I don't know, I might be hearing it wrong. Another thing that they caught that I thought was very clear was um, seven minutes and seven seconds in, uh, he's walking in and you kind of hear him talk to his wife. And then behind, it almost sounds like it's behind in the recording, if that makes sense. And you just hear, shut up. Ew. Just what? like, shut up. These ghosts are just annoyed. They're like, can you not? Like we're, we're hanging out. Can you not? And then, I don't know, if I honestly were a ghost there, it'd suck. <laughs> it just, that's all I know. Because there's so many ghosts. Actually, another one that cracks me up is Ruth. Uh, she hated men. 
while she was living and she would be known to throw stuff at the staff that were male. And in the afterlife now, she spends her time doing the exact same thing. She throws stuff at men, and men are known to get injured when they're around her and get things thrown at because she's just over it. And I think so it's impressive. hilarious. <laughs> if I were to be a ghost within the Trans-Allegheny Asylum... I would be Ruth because she cracks me up. She does not give two shits and I love it. (laughs) (laughs) She is on one and like we respect it. You know, we, we just recognize her efforts and like, we're there for it. (laughs) I love it. I love it so much. Yep. I mean, not like entirely because that sucks for her to be stuck there, but at least she's throwing stuff. I would too. (laughs) (laughs) She's active. She's like staying around, you know, (laughs) (laughs) she's lifting weights. She's doing good. Anything else? No, that's, I mean, that's about as much as we're going to get in in a timely manner. Oh, yeah. Because this place is just, yeah, definitely look at pictures. Uh, We will be posting links that uh, show some pictures. That's very interesting and also very creepy. I feel like we've definitely covered it. And I don't know, it's a good first episode. Thank you so much for listening to our very first episode of Everything We Can't See. Please, again, feel free to follow us and like us on Facebook and Instagram. And also, we would like to do um, is say a big thank you to the people contributing to making this podcast a reality. Um, We had no idea what we were doing walking into this, to say the least. Uh, Mm -hmm. The amount of time we spent on just getting set up is absolutely ridiculous. So thank you to Alex, um, who is with Darova. He created our intro song. That's absolutely amazing. Thank you so much for spending time on that and communicating with us. And also a big fat thank you to Steven who helps us uh, by editing each episode. It's a lot of content that he shifts through and cuts out. um, And I'm really, really thankful that he deals with all of our ridiculous nonsense. Um, So thank you again to Alex and Steven for contributing to this podcast. We couldn't do this without you. And again, please share um, our material and also give us feedback and share your stories. Whether they're creepy or weird, you just want to say hi, message us. Yeah, I definitely second that. Send us an email. Let us know what you liked. Let us know what you might not have liked. Um, And also definitely, like I said in the beginning, subscribe to our pages on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Like our Facebook page. Follow us on Instagram. We are there. We are ready to send some updates out and let you know what is going on. Stay spooky.